Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, result strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. He's a serial entrepreneur, tech founder, entertainment CEO, advisor, data and growth expert, venture capitalist, and blockchain evangelist. He is the founder of Festival Pass, the world's first festival and live events subscription service providing access to music, film, food and wine, and tech and innovation. He has over 25 years of business, technology, and management experience, having founded and exited several companies in that time, including helping to launch film festivals in multiple locations. And most recently, he led a data platform and consultancy in the entertainment space with clients including a Networks, AMC Networks, Screen Vision, MovieTickets.com, and was brought into MoviePass as an interim head of data. Welcome, Ed Vincent, and thank you for being on my show. Ethan, thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. You're very welcome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be awesome for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, just please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. Sure, sure. So the uh, most important part is uh, uh, I have three daughters. So I'm a, I'm a dad of three girls, which is good and happy, uh, 16, 14, and nine. So add that to the mix of, uh, of the journey. Um, but uh, yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur throughout most of my life. And um, I went through some traditional channels early on. I was an investment banker in New York City till about 1999, uh, which then I, I uh, left to start my first e-commerce company. Um, uh, it was called City Stuff, and we we sold everything that made cities famous. It was a little little bit of fun. Uh, those who know, uh, whenever you're in a major city and there's some something unique to it, often food or some other things. Um, but anyway, I sold that in 2001, and then had an agency through the 2000s, uh, and that's where I really kind of fell in love with live events. And that leads to what we're going to be talking about with Festival Pass. Um, it was it was an experiential agency, about 70 people. Um, and that's where we dealt with and helped launch a bunch of film festivals uh, in Vail, Colorado, and worked on one in Sonoma Valley, and we even owned one down in the Dominican Republic. <clears throat> so it was a lot of fun to actually be part of that and really understand that live events are, are true passion points and unique points of interest. Um, from there, I, I went on and founded a, a SaaS base um, software company for the franchise and multi-unit space, sold that in 2014. And then I think you mentioned uh, in your intro, uh, I had a data analytics company uh, prior to Festival Pass, which um, we helped a lot of big television consumer brands, film studios and film brands really understand their consumer data. And uh, a lot of that background um, kind of leads up to that point of why Festival Pass. Like, first of all, what is Festival Pass and why? And it, it actually has a little bit of every one of my previous companies all rolled up into a platform that I think is uh, has a huge global opportunity. Um, you know, now as we're kind of moving through the pandemic, um, you know, we did launch it right before the pandemic uh, came, so it was a it, it helped us get through the process, and we focused on building technology and building relationships throughout the time frame. So there's a little bit of a silver lining. Um, and then now, uh, at least in the States, um, we see a massive uh, amount of live events coming back with uh, the, the very large vaccinated population and, and a lot of testing, et cetera. 
Yeah, awesome, mate. Great story there. So much awesome experience and uh, looking forward to delving deeper into it now. So, um, you know, I think one of the key parts for you as well was being the interim head of data at Movie Pass, right? Which was just sort of before Festival Pass happened. And that sort of got you thinking, I guess, to leading you to making a membership-based pass for festivals. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, the transition? Because I guess one other thing on top of that is that I noticed that, you know, you founded the business basically as COVID was starting as well, right? So it was like a very, you know, challenging time, let's call it for everybody, uh, especially festivals um, in there. So um, how did it lead to that? And how did, you know, did the timing of it all happen around COVID as well? Yeah, so to answer your first question is MoviePass had a great product market fit. Um, it was mostly in the States, um, but it was a company that went from 20,000 to three and a half million subscribers in, in an 18 month period of time, um, you know, over a half a billion in revenue. And, and being like part of watching that happen but also at the same time realizing some of the mistakes they were making along the way, meaning they, uh, it was a product market fit where people really wanted a subscription service to go to uh, theatrical uh, movies, but the business model that was being used uh, was not the right one. Um, there was many, many, we can get into it. It'll probably take, you know, a full podcast just to tell you all the uh, mistakes that that company made along the way. But um, what, what I found fascinating on my side, I, I was able to dig into the data of three and a half million customers, meaning I could understand how consumer data really drives the needle on choices and how people participate in entertainment. Uh, and, and then realize that um, the live events business, which I uh, preferred from a personal passion point um, was actually, you know, 10x the size, actually 20x the size of the film business in North America, uh, meaning that there was a huge opportunity to create a subscription service that both millennials and Gen Zs tend to prefer um, in terms of how they want to consume product. And that's everything from, you know, subscription services to entertainment, to exercise, to, all, to, to many other services, as well as the concept of able, being able to budget for certain parts of their life. Um, you know, millennial and Gen Zs tend to uh, create buckets of how they want to spend money. Um, you know, this is what my rent or mortgage is. This is what my entertainment budget is. This is what my food budget is. Uh, and, and it tends to be the, the way they shop. We're, we're lucky enough to have some investors. One is a, kind of the global um, keynote speaker for uh, millennials and Gen Zs, the gentleman by the name of Jason Dorsey. Uh, and then we also have um, investors and advisors that sit on, sit on the board of many millennial-driven companies like uh, Ally Financial, which is a banking company mostly for millennials. So there's a lot of insights that we got along the way. Um, but just even back to the bridge from MoviePass to Festival Passes, I realized there's a better way to build an infrastructure around subscription-based models. And for us, a, a big core of that is a credit-based currency system. Um, there was a company here uh, in, in the States called ClassPass, which was a subscription service for um, exercise for people wanting to take classes, whether it's Pilates or yoga or spin or whatever that is. And about five years ago, they, they moved their model from a similar MoviePass-like model to a credit-based currency model. And it really helped them understand gross margin metrics uh, that enabled them to then grow into 30 different countries and 
they actually just got acquired for over a billion dollars recently. Um, so anyway, it's, it's really about learning the process of multiple different companies along the way to find out what really fits in the, in the, in that live entertainment business that we're, we're in. Yeah. Nice, mate. What an answer, Ren. I love the, uh, yeah, the credit base side of things. It's very cool to sort of get a certain amount for what you've got. And, um, you know, I think it's been a bit up and down. I'm assuming now um, in, you know, sort of the tail end of 2021 to 2022, I know, especially in the US, there's a lot more sort of festivals and stuff happening now. So did you sort of have a bit of a, a dry patch, I guess, for a while? And now the growth is starting to sort of exponentially grow over the last sort of six months and beyond? Yeah, so we built the technology throughout the pandemic, and we started testing um, some some marketing to ensure we, you know, people understood and really wanted to participate in the market. And the one thing to mention is um, it's not just festivals. So we're all live events. We have over 80,000 live events on the platform. So it's everything from uh, any music concert or artist you want to see to any any sporting event, any football game, basketball game, soccer game to any Broadway theater or any, anything like that. So, um, so it's not, it's not just festivals. And it was interesting as, as the pandemic continued to continue, uh, you know, making it hard for people to go out. Um, there was different pockets that came back a little quicker than others. Um, you know, uh, in the Southern part of the United States, there a bunch of outdoor events started happening and then there were some pod events. So the answer is yes, it, it we went through a process where we um, started onboarding a bunch of members um, with the promise of uh, we will be having more and more events in the future. Uh, and this was almost a way to actually have a savings account. So, you know, you commit to 20, 50, $100 a month and start building up credits. Those credits will never expire. And, you know, we even used to joke, uh, we didn't really use this in marketing because I wasn't sure if we're allowed to, but it was the idea that, we, you know, by committing to it and getting the discount or the the less charge you'll be paying for live events, you were earning more than you would if you kept it in the bank account. Um, so the answer to your question is yes. Over time, uh, it's people started um, embracing what we're doing, and you know um, now we have tens of thousands of members, about probably over sixty thousand members now, uh, and now that a lot of events are really planned for 2022. Um, you know, we're ready to go in hyperspeed and, and turn that into a million subscribers by the end of the year. Yeah. Awesome. mate. love the growth uh, potential there uh, over 20 Xing it basically. So love that. Um, so with the, just so I understand a little bit more about the subscription model. So I'm assuming you've got maybe sort of, I don't know if there's different price or different tiers. I don't know how people choose them and then sort of a certain amount gets the credit. So how, how does it work with um, all of that? Yeah, so we have uh, three core tiers right now. I'd say four because there's a free basic tier. So as a free member, um, you know you don't get any credits each month. As a uh, as the next tier up, you pay nineteen dollars a month and you get fifteen credits. At forty nine dollars a month, you get I think it's forty two credits, and at ninety nine dollars a month, you get ninety credits. So so the point of that, if you think through what it means, is when you get those credits for your paid subscription, you can then redeem those credits for any of the eighty thousand live events, and we have six hundred thousand hotel room nights on the platform as well. Um, but the key is when you commit to a higher per month price, you're effectively paying less per credit. So as an example, at $19 a month, you're paying about $1.27 a credit. And at $99 a month, you're paying about $1.10 a credit. So what happens is if something costs 10 credits, 
maybe maybe do the math easier 100 credits if something costs 100 credits at the lowest tier you're paying about 127 dollars for that event but at the highest tier you're only paying 110 dollars for that event so the, so the higher you you begin to save more and more each time the other key thing is um there in, Globally, there's been this kind of friction in live event ticketing where there's a lack of transparency and fees. So a lot of people get frustrated because they go in and buy a ticket they think is $100. And then when they check out, it costs $160. Um, <clears throat> so part of what we're doing is ensuring that nobody has ever felt that there's a lack of transparency. So if something costs 100 credits or 50 credits, that's exactly what it costs when you check out. So there's no additional fees charged at the end. So at the end of the day, out of those four tiers, even if you're a free basic member and you just choose to buy buy tickets directly from Festival Pass, you'll save at least 10%, if not more, uh, than you would anywhere else buying tickets. If you then upgrade to $19 a month, which is um, <clears throat> the gold plan, then you're, you're going to save probably another 7 or 8% on every ticket. By the time you upgrade to the $99 a month founders plan, you can effectively save you know 20 to 30 percent on every ticket you buy because you're not paying fees and we're, we're negotiating um you know discounts with some of the providers yeah nice love that mate and and just one i guess follow-up question so obviously there's all these discounts which is amazing um and i'm sure you know the the, the deals and the buying power that you've got helps for everyone to benefit is is it based on like is every sort of event um you know festival different in certain you know, pricing as they are, and then the credit sort of just basically reflects whatever that is for each individual one? That's correct. So it is all dynamic pricing. Um, so it's dynamic pricing with, with a, a value discount based upon your commitment. <clears throat> so at the end of the day, the easiest way to think about it is we're giving away some of our margin back to our customers because they're committing to paying a monthly fee. And because they're committing to pay a monthly fee, that's more predictable revenue for us. And with re predictable recurring revenue, uh, as you guys know, this is a business show, the multiples, the valuation multiples on a recurring revenue business are higher than a transactional business. So we're happy to give money, uh, margin back to our customers in return for having consistent revenue. And that consistent revenue equates to higher multiples. So our company can be valued as high or higher than a transaction-based company that is charging the consumer more. Yeah, definitely, mate. Love that. That's awesome. And, um, you know, I'm big on music festivals when I was younger, especially as well. Uh, enjoyed them. I'm sure you did as well from uh, the sounds of your experience here. So um, I guess, do you want to maybe just... Um, let everyone know about maybe some of the, like the music festivals and things that, you know, they can attend, you know, or whether it's, you know, you've planned for, if they obviously haven't potentially happened yet um, on Festival Pass. Yeah. So um, across the board, it's, uh, it, as I was saying earlier, it's really everything. So uh, in terms of concerts, um, you know, we have access to both some of the primary and the secondary market. And I don't, without getting too confusing, I don't know if everybody fully understands the difference, but uh, like the stub hubs of the world are considered the secondary market. And then the ticket masters are ticketers for the primary market. Um, but uh, 
we basically have access to most of the same tickets you'll find anywhere in the secondary market. And we have access to lots of direct deals we have with the primary market. And all that means is if you got to want to go to almost any concert, um, especially here in the States is where we're rolling out now. Um, you want to go to any concert at any arena, we're likely going to have a ticket for it. If you want to go to any football game, I actually, uh, you know, soccer game, I should say here, or American football game, um, we'll probably have the ticket. So Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, uh, you know, pick any NBA basketball team, LA Lakers, uh, anything in the sporting arena, we're likely to have the ticket for it. Um, and then on the other side, Broadway theater, uh, traveling Broadway theater, you want to go to the Lion King in New York, you want to go to Wicked. I think we even have a lot of uh, stuff in London, uh, even though we don't market there yet. Um, but the point being is that you can pretty much get any ticket to almost any event you want to go to. Uh, and where we're going to be expanding a little more uh, is where some of the tickets that don't traditionally uh, end up on some of the big ticketing platforms. And what I mean by that is um, there's about 4,000 independent music venues in the United States alone. And all of those in independent music venues are, you know, that's the fabric of what um, happens to bring music artists up, right? They, they start by playing, you know, th their local uh, club in their local town. Then they're on a tour hitting 20 clubs throughout the country. They're playing 500 cap, you know, rooms, and then they go to 2000 cap rooms. And then, you know, before you know it, they're playing arenas and amphitheaters, et cetera. So um, a lot of the access to those uh, are happening. In some of the major cities, we already have a bunch of the smaller venues, uh, like in Austin, Texas, or New York, or LA, but uh, but we're we're looking to more and more get access to some of those smaller venues. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that. Really cool. And uh, let's delve into a little bit more of the um, the business side. So you talked about like the SaaS business model, right? About the subscriptions, and you've got a SaaS business, and um, obviously big prime for big growth and scale, as as you have mentioned. Um, so. If people are wanting to get into it, because there's a lot of appeal, let's call it right, to, to get into it. But at, at the same time, you got to do it properly because there's a lot of things that could go wrong um, potentially in these businesses. Um, and that and, um, you know, whether you you run it non-profitably and just try and make a valuation to sell or where you actually run it profitably and, you know, but still has a great valuation, right? There's different ways of doing it. So do you want to maybe uh, just give everyone a couple of tips about sort of how you're looking at that to make sure that, yeah, the business is a success for anybody else wanting to do it? Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a marketplace and marketplaces have certain characteristics that have potential to be successful. And then on top of it, marketplaces sometimes can be hard because you need both sides of the marketplace for it to work. So you need supply and you need demand. So the first thing on the concept of a marketplace is there's been tons of marketplaces that have tried and failed. And part of it is because they don't really meet the fundamentals what makes a good marketplace successful. So I'll give you a few quick uh, concepts, right? So um, everybody thinks of marketplaces like Airbnb or Uber and Lyft as successful marketplaces or Postmates. I don't know if they have a lot of food delivery services uh, uh, online in, in Australia. Um, but when you think through the process, um, one of the things that makes it successful is understanding whether it's a root density marketplace or a global density marketplace. So like an Uber or a Lyft can be successful in a single town. So as long as you have enough riders wanting to ride and as long as you have enough drivers wanting to drive, you can have a successful marketplace only in New York for Uber. <clears throat> now, the flip side is something like Airbnb 
you can't, right? You, you, people that live in New York um, don't want to rent Airbnbs in New York. They want to go travel somewhere. So you need actual inventory across the globe or across the country in order to make it successful. Uh, and every piece of inventory that's added to that marketplace makes it more attractive because it creates diversity and the ability for people to engage. So that if you either have to have one or the other uh, in a marketplace to be successful or both. And if you have both, then you have even more potential. <clears throat> we like Festival Pass because there's both. Um, people can actually sign up for this monthly subscription, get their credits, and they can go to a couple events locally, their local club, their local sports team, um, a food and wine event in their town, but they can also use the same service to go to Coachella or ACL or, you know, you pick your, your big 50,000 person festival. So that's, that's something that we've loved about why the business. Second thing is whenever you have a marketplace, <clears throat> it's the transaction volume and pricing. So you either need a high volume if you have a low price. So Uber, Lyft, $10, $20 rides, you might use it 5, 10, 15, 20 times a month. That has high volume, even though the transaction price is relatively low. Sometimes it's not so low when you're coming from the airport and it's 80 bucks. But um, And then the flip side is somebody like Airbnb. Most people are only using Airbnb once, twice, three times a year but they're spending $500 every time they use it or $1,000 or whatever it is. So as long as you have one of the two, it, it can work. Uh, again, in festival, festival passes, we think we have both because there's a potential for high volume, but then as everybody knows, live event tickets are getting pretty expensive. So there's some high transaction volume where you might spend $200 just for a single event or festivals that are four or $500, but there's also $10 tickets to local events and we have all that as well. So that's two of the, the four. Uh, a couple other things is just the desire for um, people to be more efficient if they if they go back to the marketplace. I used to use this example, which was kind of funny, is um, years ago in New York, when I lived there, I lived there for 23 years, um, there was a marketplace uh, to help you find a cleaning lady or a cleaning person. Um, and a lot of people would go use it. And it was great the first time. But once you found the person you like to clean your apartment every month, you just... Venmo them the money directly. Like, why bother going to the marketplace? So there's this concept where a marketplace needs to provide value and efficiency and the type of businesses where you secure and identify one person or one service and then you know, can any go back to them anytime is not a good, it's not a good subscription driven or even a transactional driven marketplace. Um, that's why all those business models changed to, to be something where they're, it's providing mostly payment and access to something. And then the service providers are actually paying, paying the, uh, the transaction. Um, but anyway, those, those are three of the four and anyway, I'll probably bore you to death if I keep going on, but those are, I think you were asking some of the, the things and the biggest thing is really making sure supply and demand work on both sides. You know, the one thing we did on festival pass is to ensure that's why we have 80,000 events right now is we need, we know that nobody's going to sign up and pay 20 or a hundred dollars a month to subscribe to something when you don't have, you know, a ton of events that they can go to, to use their credits. So it was important for us to make sure we did all the deals to get all these events. And now it's really consumer marketing that's going to drive, um, you know, the rest of the acquisition strategy. 
Yeah, awesome, mate. That was really cool how, how it all breaks down there. I'm sure that was valuable for everyone. And um, a big one now is NFTs, right? Becoming very big in the world. Everyone's talking about them a lot. And there's these big things, especially for artists and other areas. Um, so I believe that, you know, Festival Pass with you, you're providing early access to artist NFTs, which sounds very enticing and things like that. So do you want to maybe, yeah, just very quickly just explain maybe for some people that don't know what an NFT is, but then also tell us more about how we can benefit from it as well. Yeah, I, th- I think <clears throat> leading into it, a good way to kind of describe it is I gave you a lot of the value proposition of Festival Pass based upon just saving money. And that is absolutely a good value proposition. Um, But there's a lot more to it is when you're a member of Festival Pass, there's a bunch of perks as well. And we're constantly finding new ones that we can add to the platform. So yes, you save money every time. That's great. The biggest one is you're never paying a transaction fee or a a ticketing fee, which is kind of frustrating for a lot of people. Um, But we're going to continue to build other things. Like we brought hotels onto the platform so that all of our members can also get discounts on hotels or at least pay less for them. Along the way, um, we're rolling out something we call micro subscriptions with some music artists so that uh, fans can sign up almost to a digital fan club, if you will, for that music artist, and they can get access to certain things like maybe tickets before anybody else or, you know, once a month that artist will go on and do a, a live chat with their thousand people that pay for their separate micro subscription. It's really kind of like a super fan concept. So amongst other things, uh, we'll continue to provide more value and benefits. But uh, what you mentioned in the world of NFTs is we're, we're, we're very um, pro not only blockchain and crypto overall, but this evolution of the creator economy, the ability to enable our artist partners to find ways to monetize some of their relationships directly with, with their fans, obviously using our platform as a conduit to do so. Um, So bringing that to NFTs is we have this kind of plan and process throughout 2022 to enable uh, micro subscriptions for our artists and then to enable our members to be able to purchase NFTs directly from the artist or uh, potentially a project that we're creating here at Festival Pass. So we do have our first project. I think we're going to call it the Festival Family, but we'll see where it rolls out. But uh, it's it's likely going to be a project with um, 10,000 NFTs that are all caricatures or all art of some of our music artists that we have on board. But um, I'll take a step back is for those who don't fully understand NFTs, it's really at the end of the day, a digital asset. Um, and it's a digital asset that both has the opportunity, that has a scarcity. So there's a specific amount that's only available. And just like any other asset, it has the ability to rise in value. But most importantly with NFTs, which are different than other crypto assets like Bitcoin or you know Ethereum or, or others, Dodge, um, NFTs tend to come with some kind of utility. So some kind of thing that can reward the holder of that NFT. So for example, in our world, if we're you know, selling a single NFT of a specific artist that's part of this festival family, um, you know, somebody might buy that NFT for, you know, it's usually denominated in ETH, Ethereum, so 0.5 ETH, let's say. So that means they paid about $2,000 to buy that digital asset. And that digital asset is unique and only exists in that one, one source. Um, 
as that artist grows in popularity, access to ownership of that specific NFT will also grow in popularity, therefore driving up the cost of it. Therefore, you know, just like, you know, when people buy into the stock market, there's only two ways to make money. Either it goes up and then you sell it, or there's a dividend. And with that dividend, you earn return on the ownership of that asset. Same thing in, in the world of NFTs is either somebody will pay more for that NFT because they want to hold it, um, or there's some value such as a dividend and or other utility coming back to you for that ownership. So a couple ways that works is utility could be access to certain things. So if somebody owns a specific NFT that we produce, one of the 10,000 people, let's say, that own an NFT in our first project, they may have special access to things. We might have special events that only those NFT holders can attend. We might have um, the ability to utilize that group of um, intangible assets, the, the art from all of those NFTs for merchandise. Let's just say we want to start selling festival family t-shirts. That's a bad example, but it's easy to understand. If you own one of the NFTs that are in that art, we have to pay you a license fee, just like you would have to pay a license fee to, to sell a Nike t-shirt or to sell a, you know, an art, any artist t-shirt. So the idea is the owner of that art is owning an asset that anytime it is monetized, they're getting paid for it. Um, and then that goes on and on. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool concepts. I heard about another project where there's a bunch of NFT driven um, fashion models, and you know they're going to walk in in uh, the New York City um, live fashion show. The NFTs are going to have their own show within the live fashion show, and each one of those NFTs is going to be paid like a model. So they're they're actually going to get monetized and receive income from the ownership of that single nft so it's, it's exciting there's a it's still early stages and what it what it is but i think in my opinion the space of nfts is really driven around passion points so uh, music film uh, theater um, and that's where some of the artists that are creating this can find a way to connect directly with fans um, create opportunities for their fans to own a piece of their brand so it's a piece of their their uh, intangible asset and earn along with that artist as they grow. Yeah. What a great explanation and really cool to hear about um, all those things. I'm definitely intrigued uh, to get into them a little bit more. So I'll be looking out for uh so for past family or whatever it's going to be called uh, in the end. So uh, that's awesome. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, and I think a big part of that too, is uh, there's not many places today um, that you can hook up your crypto wallet to a platform to be able to utilize. So the first thing we'll do even before launching the NFTs is we're going to enable, you know, um, probably MetaMask and Coinbase, but crypto wallets that are attached to the profiles of our members. So they can choose if they want to pay for their membership in, in Bitcoin. Sure. Do you want to pay for it in ETH? That's fine. Um, so the point is, is just being able to utilize another form of currency outside of traditional money to pay for something. And then of course, um, we, we have um, our credits are useful for hotels, useful for tickets. In the future, they'll be useful for other things. So, so now it's a way to kind of move your crypto back and forth uh, in between fiat dollars and crypto dollars. Yeah, awesome, mate. Very cool. Um, definitely the way the world's going now to uh, yeah be able to pay for things differently outside of the system. So um, 
you know, you mentioned before having a few key investors and things like that, which I know is extremely important, especially in a SaaS type business when you're wanting to grow quite quickly to get the capital in. So when, you know, if people are wanting to get investors in, what do you look for um, when you get investors to make sure that I guess you get the best bang for buck and, and right fit and things like that? Good question. Um, you know, the, the jury is still out on how we ultimately finish the financing for the company, meaning um, we, we have a lot of great um, successful uh, entrepreneurs and even professional athletes that have invested in our company. Um, and each one of them brings some value to the table. Um, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, one of our investors is the co-founder of HomeAway. You were talking about Airbnb, but its competitor is VRBO, HomeAway. Uh, co-founder of that company is an investor. The other one I mentioned, I'd say we have about 20 investors that have all built multi-hundred million dollar companies. Um, so it's really important to have them uh, on the cap table and along with us because they're always making introductions that will help grow the business. So that that's one piece. The second is um, we haven't taken traditional venture capital yet. Um, but we're talking to dozens and many of them really like our model. And uh, the goal, we're just not sure yet if, we, if we're going to accept traditional venture capital to grow our business. Um, if it's the right partner at the right time, we would. Um, I do see a lot of um, crypto-friendly VCs coming out uh, and there's a ton of money going into the crypto drive. So I might consider um, taking dollars from those who fully understand kind of where we want to be in a year, two, three years out, rather than the traditional sense. Um, so we're, we're, we'll probably in the next three to six months, we'll know if we've chosen that route or not. And then what's interesting is there's, it's different than about four or five years ago. Um, you know, I built companies and I've raised dollars in, from traditional VCs, from family offices, from, you know, numerous other places. Um, but today's world is, is unique because there's options, there's low cost debt options, um, there's um, crowdfunding options. We even tested uh, some crowdfunding campaigns um, like over the summer and it was, it was interesting. And I do believe um, in the future, there's going to be a lot of secondary market activity for privately held companies, which will increase the likelihood of crowdfunding. And crowdfunding doesn't have to mean kind of even what's traditionally out there today. It just means that it's almost like, not not almost like, it is like uh, allowing typical investors to invest in the company um, outside of the company being public. And, uh, you know, here in the US, you can raise through a reg A up to $75 million a year through crowdfunding, um, you know, if done correctly without ever going public. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Really cool. I love that. And I guess, you know, following on from that as well, um, you know, normally to get great deals these days, they don't normally just come up. Normally you need to, you know, negotiate them, let's call and structure them, you know, in a particular way so that it benefits ourselves, but benefits everybody to, to make it happen. And there's a lot of different ways to do deals. And I think a lot of people, you know, unless you're sort of around that space that really understand um, the, these different complexities, I guess, about structuring deals and things like that. And I know you've been around this for a little while. So do you want to maybe just tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what, what's, what's a good deal? How do we, you know, look at good deals and what are some things that we should think about when structuring good deals as well? And when you say good deals, you mean from the investment side or just 
Well, it could be either, right? It could be from investing or um, investing obviously has, um, you know, you want to be able to protect yourself where possible and other things like that, um, you know, as you would likely know, but there's potentially other deals as well that are out there if people are wanting to do something. So yeah, whatever whatever comes to mind from you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the simple answer is win-win deals always win, <laughs> uh, meaning that if by partnering or going to a joint venture or not even a joint venture, just a business partnership with somebody is if you're both gaining something out of it and it's not one-sided, you're going to win. Um, and same goes with investment, right? And I think what's what's happened, you know, some VCs get a bad name, uh, venture capitalists from, from the old days where they were a little uh, less founder friendly, um, meaning that there was a bunch of terms in the documents that made it harder for entrepreneurs to have the flexibility to build the business the way they wanted to. Um, so there's, I would always highly recommend any entrepreneur going that route um, understands that, right? There used to be a, a term in raising capital that most VCs required, which was called a participating preferred, which was a preferred form of stock. Um, luckily, most of them now don't require it, um, but it was very venture friendly and not so much entrepreneur friendly. It was effectively double dipping on your investment where they required the money back almost like a debt instrument. Uh, and then on top of it, they still got their full equity stake, um, which is a, uh, is punishing to the entrepreneur uh, to be able to actually have the flexibility to grow, um, and and then just other things. There's there's a, it's it's when an, an investor puts money up, they deserve the right to have that money protected, and they deserve the right as it is less the more risky it is, they deserve a right to have a higher economic return. Um, but what's the hardest part is when there's got you know such strong governance and control over the entrepreneur at the wrong stage. Um, you know, when you're in early stage business, you need the flexibility to pivot and make decisions and grow. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to be in a place where um, the CEO or the founder or the entrepreneur doesn't have that flexibility. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love that. Um, all those key points there. And there's been so much value here today on a festival pass along a variety of um, business topics here. And as we're wrapping up now, um, you know, just what one, I guess, key piece of advice would you give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? Um, I'd say patience and, uh, and this isn't a quote from me and I don't even think it was, uh, Jeff Bezos's quote, but he made it famous. Uh, and it was really about, um, and I'll probably have to paraphrase it, but it was really about, uh, um, be strong on vision and flexible on details, meaning that know where you want to go. Um, but sometimes you have to be flexible enough to accept the daily iterations along the way to get there. Um, so, you know, if you really want to build something and you have a vision of where you want to get to, um, you know, holding true to that North Star is important because some companies fail because they're pivoting too much, meaning that every day they're changing their North Star and it's hard to get somewhere if, you, if you're not hard in the vision. And then on the flip side, um, some are the total opposite where they're so rigid in what they think they want to do and don't realize you need to you know, understand the consumer feedback, understand the market changes and kind of be flexible enough to, you know, sneak your, snake your way through the uh, obstacles until you get to that vision. So it's just something that's always been important to me is strong on vision and flexible on details.
Yeah. Awesome, mate. So I completely agree with that. Really powerful. And uh, yeah, we connected through our networks. I learned about your awesome journey from having over 25 years of business technology and management experience, um, having founded and exited several companies in that time to leading a data platform and consultancy in the entertainment space and recently founding Festival Pass. Uh, Yeah, you're an awesome guy and I'm sure you continue to innovate the festival and events industry and make the human experience much better for everyone. I am very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you in the future. So Ed, uh, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Sure. So on the on the festival side, festival pass side, uh, Instagram is one of the best uh, festival underscore pass, but you'll find us just by typing in festival pass. Same on Facebook, uh, same on TikTok, um, Twitter, but uh, personally myself. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. I know I need to be more active on Twitter because that's where the crypto space <laughs> tends to play, Discord and Twitter. But uh, but just personally, I'm mostly on the business side on LinkedIn. Yeah, awesome. And uh, festivalpass.com, right, as well for the business. Yes, that that is correct. Festivalpass.com. Go sign up for free. Even if you're in Australia, we'll eventually get there. <laughs> awesome, mate. I love it. So. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis, or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way you will know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.